Welcome to the Conservation Queens podcast. We are five girls who love the earth and have a passion for living a more eco-friendly life. We are Real Life Zoo employees, and as always, nothing that we say reflects our organizations and all thoughts and opinions. Our, our, this one part always gets me, man, are (laughs) our own. Please keep in mind that we try to keep our podcast PG-13, so if you have younger listeners, you may want to review the content beforehand. I'm Katie. I'm Emily A. I'm Kinsey. And I'm Abby. And with that, let's talk about stuff. Stuff. I feel like oh. I haven't been on an episode in so long, but in reality, I missed one episode. <laughs> She's just killing it at being a zookeeper, Katie. That's what's going on. Yeah, yeah. life is crazy. <laughs> no, but that's great. Sloths are great. <laughs> oh. Oh. If you were wondering. Who doesn't love sloths? Yeah, Terrible awesome. people. Terrible people don't like sloths. I don't know. They're a little overrated, but. <laughs> but they Jeez. No, I love them to death. I would literally die for each and every one of our sloths, but overrated animal. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we got any fan shout outs this week? We do. Uh, this goes out to my mom. She just had her birthday. Happy birthday, Ooh, mama. Thanks Ten for supporting mom us. Literally oh our gosh. biggest fan. It was also just my brother's birthday, who is also our biggest Yay! <laughs> Happy birthday, Katie's brother. His name is Robbie. Happy he, birthday, uh, Robbie. He listens to every episode. He's a real <gasps> conservation king himself. Oh, say. that's so nice. My brother doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Hey. Abby, the way you said happy birthday reminded me of happy birthday, Raven. Happy birthday, <laughs> <laughs> A classic vine. <laughs> Speaking oh of God. vines, um, this—that's a terrible. <laughs> no, it makes sense um, <laughs> because my conservation news this week is this really cute article about. Um, so a lot of their like solar panel fields um, have started planting like pollinator gardens underneath them or in that area because you have this whole flat field of just these solar panels. Why not like also plant? stuff for the bees you know and the butterflies and the other lovely pollinators out there uh i also missed the other week was like national pollinator week so i was kind of bummed that we didn't have an episode that i could just talk about bees but it's fine i'll catch up with that in the future (laughs) um but the whole point of this is that there was an article um, called sheep are grazing below minnesota solar panels that invite pollinators to thrive so basically someone was like hey great idea we plant all this milkweed for monarchs in minnesota um in this cute little solar farm and what they realized was that there was some invasive species so they were like huh what better animal to also invite to this area besides goats we love them we love them or sheep sorry they're actually it's goats it's sheep it's sheep not goats in this this case usually it is goats but in this case it's sheep so go sheep too wait Uh, that is actually something i just learned it's very confusing that a lot of animals that we call a goat are not actually a goat right like mountain goats are not goats no it's so confusing they're called dolls sheep wow you learn something new every day Well, these sheep are making sure that uh, they clear away dead brush and control weeds, which reduces the fire risk in the area. Um, So, and they also trample some of the flowers, which actually helps spread their seeds um, because it attaches to their wool and they help pass it around. So they also fertilize it, obviously. Really, truly great stuff from the sheep. You'll love to hear it. Thanks, sheep. Goats, you rock too. (laughs) All good. This Zoo news. Bad Zoo all. news. Oh, oh, oh wait, that was a good pun. <laughs> Kenzie with the puns. We haven't had a good Kenzie pun in a while. I'm pretty. I'm pretty happy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. Zoo news. Um, very exciting. There are animals that are starting to receive COVID vaccines. Yay! Crazy. Yay! Special vaccines have been made and given to animals like tigers and bears and gorillas. Oh my! We love it. <laughs> 
Okay. And more, but like those are the ones that like they mentioned specifically. But I, but there were pictures of like other animals, like a ferret too. So I was like, that's neither a tiger nor a bear nor I a gorilla. They were concerned about like black-footed ferrets and COVID. So. I think it was a black-footed ferret in the picture. So that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's relevant, Amazing. actually. Yes, it is. Yes, uh-huh. it is to this episode. But I got one more zoo news. Go ahead, uh, Katie. This one's for you. It is. The St. Oh, Louis, yeah, <laughs> Louis Zoo is opening their new primate canopy exhibit on Monday. Uh, I looked at the exhibit design because, you know, I'm a nerd. Oh, my God. It's so cool. It's basically like a raised walkway with just primates around you. That's beautiful. That's actually the same sort of design that they had um, in Australia. This um, In Adelaide, they have the Adelaide Zoo. Um, but they their area with the gibbons was a raised walkway that you walked on this like almost like boardwalk sort of like area. Yeah. And there were just like these trees all around in these islands. And it was just like a really cool way to see them. And it's I so smart, too, because they're like, it. they're not coming down here. Yeah, exactly. It was so cool. So. So now we have to another stop to on our another stop on our road trip that we're perpetually planning. Yep. Yep, One no of these problem. days, oh my gosh, this is like a dream thing. If we w- got to go on like tour for the podcast, but all of our venues were zoos. I mean, that is the dream. <laughs> That's like literally, I think, my dream job. Talking about animals at zoos. To like we visiting record it. our episodes at a different zoo every time. Yeah, Wait, we're like a live about, audience. About that oh zoo. God. That would be amazing. Are In we going to be a live studio audience? live studio audience who does not laugh at our jokes it'll be awesome (laughs) sorry we laugh enough at our own jokes anyway all right well speaking of animals like black-footed ferrets uh who wants to introduce today's topic great question i guess i will yeah go katie um so our topic this week is conservation success stories um we talk a lot about animals that are in need of our help and we will of course get back to that at the end of this episode um but it's important to reflect on successes that um, conservationists have had in the past and what we can learn from these success stories and taking that to other species that are currently in need of our help um so we're going to mainly focus on uh success stories in the united states right Everyone's yes, happy animal. 4th of July. Yeah, happy late 4th of July. But you, know, <laughs> you say 4th of a... July, I say happy treason day. Yeah! Uh, <laughs> suck I on mean... that, Britain. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> sorry. That's, I actually would rather celebrate us being treasonous than what 4th of July has become, so. All right. Uh, but what is more American as far as an American success story? conservation success story um then the american alligator i would argue that mine is more american oh all right that's okay i forgot what what yours was (laughs) Um, spoiler alert hers is a bald eagle so (laughs) i win you know what i still think american alligators are very american they i they i i totally agree i'm just saying that I think I win the most you American. Think the national bird of America is more American. I think so because people who don't like conservation actually respect the bald eagle. This is yeah, that's true. All Except right. uh, unless you're in Florida, the Florida man uh, uses alligators. Well, so that's <laughs> the thing. Have you is seen, just to I, derail the conversation for a moment? Did you oh see boy. the Florida man that used an alligator to rob a Wendy's? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Are you just the most Florida man to ever Florida? No. Like, he brought an alligator and just was like, be free. He held the alligator as if it was a gun. Like, it was a (laughs) gun. So stupid. Okay, so I actually care for, we have two um, one-year-old alligator, American alligators at my zoo. Um, that I take care of. Their names are Cypress and Willow. They're really cute. Yeah, yeah, they're really cute. Um, they're hissy girls, though. You know, they're not. They're they're alligators. They're not like come cuddle me. Um, but right. we will um, bring them out for our camp programs and school programs and like tours and stuff. I don't know if I'd want to um, cuddle an alligator. So we will. Yeah, they're not the cuddliest, but we will like handle them and like hold them. Um, they're still very small, so it's not you know like I'm holding a big gator. But like I'm just imagining next, like next time I'm gonna hold them or bring them out, I'm gonna be like, pachow, pachow. 
Give me your Please do that. Please. But I just imagine this insane. poor gator. This was a wild gator. Like, it wasn't his pet Oh, my gator. God. I just See, imagine that's, this gator, yeah, like, different. in his head. He's probably like, I didn't ask for this. <laughs> <laughs> so, clearly, American alligators have been through a lot in this country. <laughs> Especially in Florida. But I was going to say, Florida alone. I don't think a lot of people know that they were nearly extinct um, not very long ago. Like, really close to extinction. Um, So they were, uh, back in the 1950s, um, they were hunted and traded to near extinction. Um, But they were on the endangered species list in 1967, but at that point, uh, they were still in rapid decline. Um, so even though they were placed on the endangered species list uh, in 1967, they were still uh, illegal poaching for their meat, um, for black market alligator goods, um, and other products. So like we're talking like shoes, skirts, purses, whatever, Oops. I guess, people. Yeah, there you go. Make out of alligators. Um, anyways, but so this was still happening in the 1970s and they were really close to extinction not only due to that illegal hunting but also due to um, a lot of habitat loss as a lot of expansion occurred especially here in Florida Um, so what happened was they actually started focusing Fish and Wildlife Services started focusing more on captive breeding and strong enforcement of habitat protections and hunting regulations Um, which then contributed to its resurgence. They made a comeback, baby. Uh, They now um, populate around 5 million um, from North Carolina to Texas, with the largest populations being in Louisiana and Florida. Go figure. I Um, mean, swamp. Swamp. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So they were actually removed from the endangered species list in 1987. So they went on it in 1967 and they were removed 20 years later in 1987. 20 years, like when you really think about it, is not that long of a time. I mean, comparatively, Uh, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. But pretty much what happened was their comeback was um, actually facilitated by private farms that were regulated by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services, along with state game agencies, um, captive conservation breeding programs and other ways of commercialization. So they regulated these practices, like um, the practice of making them into things like um, handbags or jerky um, or boots or whatever, whatever have it. They had more regulation on those products. Um, and then along with captive breeding efforts, um, they did increase the populations drastically, um, which was... While morally controversial to some people, because a lot of these places that were farming alligators, yes, they were putting some back into the wild, but um, only it was actually only about 20% of the captive populations were released back into the wild, while the other were used for meat and commercial products. Um, but this way, because they were breeding them or you know had so much captive populations for this purpose, it basically eliminated the demand in the black market for these products, um, which really helped the species recover because there was no more illegal hunting happening. Um, And it also provided uh, farmers a way to make a living, Uh, though I feel like gator farming sounds difficult. I would imagine. I've seen some videos about it because I was, you know, curious. It's a controversial topic. Um, I've seen videos too. But they put a lot of like, Honestly, they put a lot of care into those gators. They don't just like, you know, do nothing. Raise them in a kiddie pool and then right. <laughs> there's like their facilities are good. It, it's it's it brings into the question about farming and like what is okay, what isn't okay, right? Yeah, it's all that kind a of whole stuff. Other, it's a whole other, other episode. Yeah, sure is. But it's baby. one of those things that you kind of like. I think about at least. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, but, you know, that was great. So they really had a rapid rebound. Um, And the big 
importance of like, you know, you might be thinking some people out there, well, why, why save the gators? They're just giant dinosaurs. And that is correct. They have been virtually unchanged for millions and millions of years. So they are literal dinosaurs. So excuse you, we should protect our dinosaurs. I was say, first of all, how dare you? <laughs> Second of all, um, they actually are keystone species. They have really powerful jaws and very powerful bodies. And they can create what's called a gator hole um, within the mud. Um, they usually are going to raise their eggs in these holes or just hang out in them. Um, but then after they leave, they usually get filled in by rainwater or by other sources of water. And then they're used by many other animals in the ecosystem, um, from small mammals to fish, frogs, what have you. Um, so it, they are incredibly important, not only to just have because they're cool um, as heck, but also because they are keystone species and a lot of um, the ecosystem depends on them. Um, but this is just one example of how you can kind of have a lot of different, so they focused on the habitat protection, they focused on captive breeding, um, and then as well as like control of kind of products that were related to that animal in a sense. Um, and it really was success, truly successful. I mean, they are doing fabulous, um, <laughs> I would say, especially here in Florida right now. But there are lots of crocodilians that are still facing extinction. Um, but just goes to show you that they can still be saved um, when you really bring the federal, state, and local programs together. Heck yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. So go American alligators. I have a new love for them. I may already like them, thought they were cool. But now that I get to take care of a couple on a daily basis, it's even more near and dear to my heart oh yeah they're cute girls i i sing um skater no we <laughs> like the song skater boy by avril Lavigne. yeah every time i walk by them i'm like they were skate uh gator girls <laughs> later, girl. that's that's their theme song to me i love that yeah i think they enjoy it i'm gonna say they do it's okay. I think that one bird at our facility uh, thinks, I think that she loves me, even though I'm pretty sure she doesn't. Well, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the little things we tell ourselves that get us through today. Speaking of little things, Kenzie, what's all this about the lesser long-nosed bat? Oh my god, I'm so glad you asked. Okay, <laughs> everybody sit down. I'm sitting. Story time. <laughs> yeah, I was not about to stand up, so... Good. All right. <laughs> so stretching from northern Mexico and up through the American Southwest, you'll find what's known as the Nectar Trail. Now, the Nectar Trail is a 620-mile stretch of sand and rock in the Sonoran Desert, but here you'll also find agave and agave. Agave? Agave! <laughs> I love agave. Too. It's in my top 10 favorite plants. <laughs> <laughs> but in addition, you'll also find agave and cacti <laughs> and one tiny but mighty little bat. Meet the lesser long-nosed bat. These guys may only weigh the same as a double A battery. That's 27 grams. Stop. But they're pretty darn resilient. Oh, I love wait. these guys. Yeah, so if you, if you take out a double A battery... And you hold it in your palm. That's how much this goes. <laughs> You're holding on a lesser long nose bat. Yes. <laughs> I like, love it. Okay, I just looked up a picture of them, right? Mm -hmm. I and like how they have just like a little ding of like, just like sticking out of their nose. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Look at it. It is just like, just like doing. I believe it's called the tragus. Is it like a leaf shape almost or a. I'm, I'm looking at a side view. So let me try to find a front view. Okay. Because some bats will actually have um, this organ or a sensory organ on the front of their nose that kind of helps them to navigate, especially with echolocation. I think okay. it. I think it is that Kenzie because it looks like from other views it looks very leaf like triangle leafy, but from the side it's very funny. Okay, <laughs> cool. Well, there's a fun little fact for you uh, listeners. 
So feeding on the nectar of cacti flowers like those found on organ pipe and carbon cacti, and even the iconic suero, which, fun fact, is also a keystone species. Amazing. And of course, they enjoy agave flowers as well, which is a great thing if you're like me and you enjoy a nice margarita at the end of a long work week. <laughs> all of us. <laughs> yes. Uh, the lesser long-nosed bat is a pollinator helping to spread the pollen and seeds from plant to plant as it dips in for a drink of nectar as it feeds. And actually, if you continue to go through those Google images, so they get lost you'll in the find sauce. a picture of this bat. Oh, yeah, they get very lot, much lost in the sauce. <laughs> you'll find several images of them with their little heads just absolutely coated in pollen. It's just like a yellow, small, yellow layer. Lost in the sauce. They're just having a great time, <laughs> as we all that. aspire to be. Uh, so the lesser long-nosed bat has actually been known to fly 120 miles in a single night as they forage. I mean, Damn. I would drive 120 miles for some good margaritas. I mean, you know, we have done it before. <laughs> <laughs> and when you get when you get sauced, you gotta you gotta eat, you gotta keep up stamina. <laughs> Now, of course, when they do this, this also means that a lot of pollination is taking plant is taking place. I mean, imagine how much coverage they get when they're doing that. That's pretty impressive. And also, I think it shows just how much stamina they have as well. Seriously, miles, teeny little guys. Night. Yeah, I get tired after walking like ten feet. <laughs> Same. I've hardly left my bed since I've gotten home today. <laughs> Incredible. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, these little guys were placed on the endangered species list back in 1988 uh, due to habitat loss, which was a really huge thing with them. Now, back in 1988, it was estimated there were only a thousand individuals left in only 14 known roosting locations. And so the U.S. Fish and Wildlife said, well, that's not good. Let's go ahead and put them on the list. So they did. But thanks to scientists from both the U.S. and Mexico and their collaborative work and federal agencies from both sides, the lesser long-nosed bat was actually delisted in 2018. Wow. Years later. Yay. So this Amazing. happened when studies confirmed that the population had actually reached up to 200,000 strong Whoa. with 75 known roosting sites, which is a huge, huge jump when you think about it. So the protection of roosting sites and the management of nectar-bearing plants like the, aga like the agave were very much key in this recovery. In fact, that Conservation International, which listeners, if you haven't looked up, look them up now. They're a fantastic organization founded by this man named Merlin Tuttle, which, come on. What <laughs> <laughs> Tuttle. <laughs> Merlin Tuttle. It's fantastic. Um, but they've been doing a lot of planting of agave and the nectar corridor to try and make sure that these bats still have plenty of food as they migrate up and through that stretch of Sonoran Desert. So the LLB, as I like to refer to it as, the lesser long-nosed bat, is now listed as vulnerable. And while it's a big improvement, they still face threats today, such as the over-harvesting of agave for bootleg tequila, uh, <gasps> habitat loss from development. Yeah, so make sure your tequila is legal. This is in the 1920s. <laughs> <laughs> the Rock has good tequila. Yes, and climate change. I thought uh, but the, the story of the little friendly. Sorry. Oh, no, 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 you're good. Yeah, you, you gotta research your tequila. Didn't we look it up, friendly. like, another time? I'm looking it up again. All I know is that Kendall Jenner did not do well. You know, we're, oh, okay. we're not giving Kendall Jenner our money. We're or not our giving time. her our money. I Moving have so on. many <laughs> issues with that family. Do not even get me started. wild. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, we can talk about that on a different podcast. <laughs> Join in for hot takes. Yes. But the story of the lesser long-nosed bat, I think, is important because it shows once more that through collaborative effort and cooperation across communities, we can save just about anything we put our minds to and pull when we pull our resources together. Aww. Heck yeah. Yeah. That's going to be the obvious theme of today. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, Abby, though, I think you have another pretty astounding story of a, another animal that shares the skies. Who do you have for us? Uh, we love a good bird. So we're going to talk about bald eagles, uh, like we said earlier. <laughs> now, the thing is, I feel like everybody, at least that I know, 
has heard about the bald eagle like recovery story, but they may not know the details. So True. I'm not gonna kind of explain what a bald eagle is because I feel like <laughs> what what is that? I've never heard of it. Google it, Katie. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um if you're listening outside of the united states sorry you're gonna have to google it too um but basically big old eagle it's our national animal if you've seen any american propaganda it's probably in it with a red-tailed hawk calling behind it i was it. gonna say <laughs> did you see like the fourth of july meme that was like you know oh god i don't even remember what it said but it was like thank your local like voice actors and yeah, it, was it was a, a red-tailed, hawk. red-tailed hawk yes Oh, uh, because eagles are just nation's heroes. <laughs> they, they just don't sound majestic in they any don't. way, shape, or form. Nope. Um, but red-tailed hawks do. They sure do. But anyway, bald eagles may not sound majestic, but they look majestic. Uh, and they were a pretty common sight around North America for a long time. It's one of the reasons we chose them as our national bird. Um, but unfortunately, in the 1940s, something happened and the bald eagle population dropped dramatically. Uh, and this was due to a couple of reasons, but the biggest one was a pesticide called DDT, which I looked up and then decided I didn't want to try to pronounce. So we're just going to call it DDT. That's fair. I, it's, it's, it's an organic chemistry. I didn't do well in that class, so we're ignoring it. I don't it. think most people do. <laughs> a chemistry occurs, um, and DDT was used as an insecticide on farmers' fields. So one of the reasons that DDT was a big problem, um, besides that it was widely used, is that sometimes it was overused. And so when it rained, and to clarify, these are used on farmers' fields largely across the Midwest, but also around the lower 48 United States. Um, There are no bald eagles in Hawaii, so they're exempt from this. And there are um, bald eagles in Alaska, but they don't have a lot of farming up there. So there wasn't a lot of DDT there, but we'll get to Alaska in a second. So DDT was used in the farmer's fields um, to get rid of all the bugs. But if it rained, then all, or if the fields were watered, the runoff water was contaminated with the DDT and that would make its way into lakes and rivers, right? Right. Who lives in lakes and rivers? Fish live in lakes and rivers. Who eats the fish? Who eats the fish? The bald eagles eat the fish. So basically the fish were infected with the DDT and then the bald eagles were then affected by the DDT because bald eagles are fish eagles. So that's what they all eat. Um, Now, the reason this is such a big deal is because with toxins in the environment, um, it goes through a process called biomagnification, which is a really fancy way of saying as poison moves up the food chain, it actually becomes more concentrated, not less concentrated. So if anything ate the bald eagle, it would actually be poisoned more than if it ate like a fish right does that make sense yes yeah yeah so it's uh pretty bad uh it didn't really affect the adult eagles however when female bald eagles would lay their eggs that uh, after they were infected with ddt the eggshells were so brittle that one of two things would happen either the shell would be too thin for the egg to be viable or the eggshells were so brittle that when the eagle sat on the eggs to keep them warm, the eggs would break, <laughs> which is so, it's so sad. It's awful. And like the eagles are probably like, what the heck is going on? I'm doing what I'm supposed to, right? Um, to show how dramatic this change was. Um, and DDT has been around since like the 1800s, right? So in the 18th century in North America, the population of bald eagles is about half a million individuals. By 1950, After widespread use of DDT, there were only 412 nesting pairs in the continental United States. Jesus. Oh, my God. So, like, talk about decline. From 500,000 to less than 1,000. So, pretty bad. Um, This was not the only threat to the population, um, DDT. So, one rumor that also was a problem, especially up in Alaska, was the rumor that bald eagles will carry off small children or lambs in their talons. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which, to be fair, there are some recorded eagles snatching lambs, um, but there's never been confirmation of small children being yoinked by the bald eagle. So, well, also a bald eagle, like they're not that big. No, but other birds, no, absolutely no. Anyways, that's 
Wow. <laughs> Listen, this is what Wikipedia told me. Okay. So I'm going to trust that it was true. Um, so between, and then that led to people just like straight up shooting the Eagles. Great. Um, so between 1918 and 1930, an ornithologist in Alaska estimated that there were about seven, uh, 70,000 Eagles shot. So <sighs> sigh. a lot. Um, luckily, that one's a little bit easier of a thing to combat because that's an education deal. So yeah. anyway, um, other threats to bald eagles included hunting, power line electrocution, collisions in flight, oil lead, mercury poisoning, or uh, nest intrusion by people. So people going up there and being like, look at this nest. And the birds are like, I don't want this nest anymore. So they just leave it. Rude. So if you're alive today you may notice in the united states there are a lot more bald eagles than what i'm describing uh, and there's a couple of reasons uh the first is that because the bald eagle is the national bird of the united states people cared about it like no one wanted our national i mean to be... how embarrassing would that be uh, number yeah, one we, we killed our national bird it'd be so it number one would be embarrassing number two it's kind of like a, it's a bummer. Yeah, it's kind of on brand too, let's be honest. I mean, <laughs> so on brand. this is like one of the greatest things the U.S. ever did that everybody was like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, like I said before. Them? Yeah, because yeah, like before people were like, like, like I said, no one cares about conservation or the people who don't care about conservation still care about bald eagles because mm. it's our national symbol. Okay. So that makes a huge difference. Um, so that helped a lot. So there are a couple of laws that helped eagles um, kind of bounce back as well. The Migratory Bird Treaty in 1918 helped. Um, not that bald eagles are migratory, but it put in safety measures that helped birds. Um, the Bald and Golden Eagle Protection Act of 1940. And most notably, the Endangered Species Act. The eagles were added in 1967. Whoa, That's in our parents' same lifetimes. Same year as American alligators. Crazy. Oh my gosh. That was the year that we got woke. Yeah. We were like, dang, we're killing everyone. <laughs> Jeez. That's a problem. I wouldn't be surprised either if DDT affected the alligators as well. Possibly. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm going to look that up. <laughs> I have no Continue. idea. Um, anyway, this, uh, the most significant part of the recovery and the most significant law was that DDT was banned in the United States in 1972. Banned. It was banned. Um, <laughs> my parents, I've talked to them about this before. They say they remember this happening. They remember never seeing bald eagles when they were little. It'd be like a really, really exciting thing. And now we see them all the time. Like all the time. Um, because the population like rebounded crazy. By the early 1980s. So this is just like 10 years after DDT was banned, there was an estimated population of 100,000 individuals in the U.S. Isn't that insane? Yeah. Wow. That's a huge comeback. Um, today, there are estimated to be about 10,000 breeding pairs of eagles. Um, the largest populations are actually in Florida. Woo! 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 Minnesota. Yeah! <laughs> and Wisconsin. Boo. Well, oh, okay. No. Sorry to any listeners from Wisconsin. <laughs> that was only for my my personal friends who live in Wisconsin. I love you. Um, now, if we're including Alaska in the data, they actually win. They had the most, they have the most eagles, but DDT wasn't a problem in Alaska. So they didn't include that in like all the stuff. Um, so currently the state that has the most eagle nesting pairs is actually minnesota all right whenever we beat out florida by about 200 breeding pairs um minnesota has about 1300 breeding pairs i now see why she picked bald eagle yeah it <laughs> that was not the only reason now. no it makes a lot of sense now. i actually didn't know that until about an hour ago so <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm uh, it used to be Florida used to be the number one, um, but Minnesota surpassed it in recent years. Um, to me, that makes a lot of sense, though, because Minnesota, Florida, and Wisconsin all have a lot of lakes. So oh, yeah. that's where eagles live. Um, just to pop in here, uh, DDT does affect alligators. 
Uh-huh. Um, it does disrupt um, their reproduction and it is disrupts their endocrine system as well. So, so this probably helps. I mean, it definitely helped eagles. Definitely helped alligators. Sure probably it helped a lot of animals. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was say. a lot of people too. Let's be and, honest. Yeah, and yeah. seriously, anything who used the water was like, "Thank you, thank you." Yeah, pretty much. Um, so in 1995, the bald eagle was officially removed from the endangered species list. Ooh, woo! Um, it was delisted from endangered to threatened. Uh, in 2007, officially, and then currently, it's assessed as least concern. <gasps> That's great. Which That's is incredible. Yeah. So the reason I wanted to cover this is because this is one of the best success stories for any animal in the world, because not a lot of animals experience this kind of a comeback. So it's significant. Um, it is unfortunately a lot due to because Americans like their symbols. Uh, yeah. But if we can get <laughs> if we can get people as excited about other animals as they are about the bald eagle, can you imagine how many species could bounce back? For real, it'd be so cool. I need I you would... all to care a lot about frogs, okay? Oh my gosh, like, a lot. Ask about who DDT affects. I'm sure frogs were just like growing seven legs all over the place. Uh, like hello, help! And oh, yeah. it was like yeah, whatever. And then the bald eagle was like, I can't have babies, and we were like, oh. God. I mean, I almost took care of it. Yeah. Ask what nationalism doesn't do against you. <laughs> ask what it can do for you. <laughs> I almost talked about um, Wyoming toads, actually. But they're Ooh, they're in the process of a comeback. So they're, they're not getting there. They're getting there. Uh, they're still considered extinct in the wild, but we're working on it. Oh, oof. Okay. Yeah. Rough. Lots of lots of zoos are working on that. So. Anyway, awesome. so on to because birds are the best. More birds! <laughs> yeah. You know, Abby, it is your lucky day because I'm also talking about a bird. I'm just what I'm saying. Listen, for those she who think that birds. birds aren't the best, oh my gosh. you're wrong. But Wait. they are not real. Quick side note. Um, you'll appreciate this. Uh, when I was also hanging out with our flamingos today at work, um, a man came up and asked me if they were real. Yes, but, mother um, of. I'm pretty sure. No, I'm pretty sure it was in like in reference to the bourgeoisie. Did thing you say no? That he legitimately thought our birds were not real, but I oh. I said no. They are very real because I initially did think he was just pulling my leg. Um, but then he said, "Oh, you have to change the batteries uh, often." And I said, "Nope, they're actually solar power." <laughs> 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 yes that's a and great comeback my, like that. The, my co-worker next to me was like you know i guess they kind of are though <laughs> so the number cool. of kids though who think that flamingos get their color from the sun is a little bit disturbing what? i've never heard that i, I hear it all the time what really? why are they all come to me <laughs> you attract the weirdos abby i apparently i've gotten some <laughs> This last year, man, I have had some strange conversations. Well, that's fair. Between the lady who didn't know how evolution worked and these kids who think flamingos get sunburned and that's why they're pink, it's like... Oof, uh, that's a permanent sunburn right it's, there. It's a lot, yeah. man. But anyways. Oh, I'm tired. What bird, what bird are we talking actually talking Oh, yeah. About? California condor. Yes! <laughs> so I like to call these uh, bougie buzzards. <laughs> wow, I love that. They are extra. In California. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Uh, they're also bougie because of the way they look. If you've never looked at them, Google a picture right now. Um, the skin on their head and their neck are shades of pink, red, orange, yellow, and light blue. And sometimes a little purple. And then um, before it gets to the rest of their body, they have like a floofy like collar of feathers just around their neck. So basically, they look like a real housewife. As you say, it, it looks like a woman who has a lot of money. Yes, like absolutely. just divorced. No, just found out her husband was murdered mysteriously. Absolutely. Oh, what? A hundred pounds. Look have, at it. Oh, she just added a picture of one with real. She flute. has a feather boa. Yes, that's exactly what it looks like. Um, so basically, they invented the feather boa. 
Not actually, but that's just my personal opinion. Anyways, <laughs> they have a wingspan of about nine and a half feet, uh, making it the largest flying bird in North America. So take that, bald eagles. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, mine's least concerned now, so. Thanks. Well, speaking of that. We're I was going to say, I love these ones, though. I love the California cockatoos. We're going to share some fun facts before we get into the nitty gritty. One cool thing about them is that they're known to fly 150 miles a day in search of food. They wow. beat the bats. They did. But to be they fair, did. the bats are super tiny and they're a lot bigger. Quite so large. I don't know I would about actually... the bats, man. Also, the bats, makes the bats more impressive. The bats don't me. have hollow bones either. So I feel like it's also like a lot more effort for them to stay airborne. <laughs> True. Um, speaking of how they soar, um, California condors soar on warm thermal updrafts for hours, reaching speeds of more than 55 miles an hour and altitudes of 15,000 feet. Holy moly. Yeah. And they don't actually fly in circles looking for food. Those warm thermal updrafts cause like a circulation of hot air. So they're really just following that circulation of hot air, which makes it more efficient to fly. When they're all together, it's called a cauldron. <laughs> what? Are you There's a lot me? of weird group names for it. It's either that. cauldron or kettle. And when they're um when they're eating like a carcass, I think it's called a wake. <laughs> 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 it's quite bad. Um a lot of I'm surprised a lot not a lot of people know this that the purpose for why their heads are bald is to keep bacteria from infecting their skin while yeah. they're eating. So they're clean and fancy boys at the same time. <laughs> oh, it's called kettle, not cauldron. Sorry, I get that mixed up all the oh, time. Oh man. Yeah, I feel like cauldron right. would have been fun. Um, it's, it's still spookier. Yes. They are wonderful mom and dads. They stay in their mating pair for the duration of both mating season and for raising their offspring. We love that. Um, but why Why should we care about vultures? Because most people think they're disgusting. And I'm here to tell you, you're wrong. Okay, um, pause for a second. Go ahead. A group of bats is called a cauldron. Ah, uh, there we go. <laughs> Kenzie, did you know that? I did. I was waiting for you guys to figure it out. Though. Oh, Kenzie! Oh. <laughs> That's so rude! That really, just oh, sitting back there like, rude, I say entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. A group of fairies is called a business. Oh, boy. <laughs> Anyways. Sorry. I'm on, I'm, on a, I'm on a tangent. I love Halloween. Um, so vultures are important because they keep the environment clean. Um, so have you ever asked yourself, what happens to your food when you leave it out too long? Well, really gross stuff grows, like Ew. parasites, bacteria, mold, diseases. But guess what? Vulture stomach acid is so strong that it destroys all of those things. So not only are they keeping our environment clean of animal carcasses, but they also keep it clean from things that can kill us and other animals. So... It's very kind of them. Hell yeah. They're cool as hell. <laughs> They're doing the job that no one wants to do, so we should love them. Exactly. So I'm very appreciative. Um, so going to their habitat, their habitat range, I'm probably going to butcher this, the Pliocene era. Is that wrong? I think that's Pl right. Pl okay. Pliocene. That. Yeah, that's, that's the top one right there. Basically uh, a long time ago, okay? About 10,000 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> um, the California condors range actually extended across most of North America. So they were not just California condor. They were almost as prevalent as black and um, turkey vultures. In 1982, unfortunately, is when there were only 23 condors left surviving that is so crazy yes this, 23. Is the, this is the most insane story yes um by 1987 all of the remaining condors were taken out of the wild and placed on breeding programs which then made them classified as extinct in the wild hmm. um and this is where zoos came in to start the breeding program so yeah. LA California really pulled it together they did 
Um, Los Angeles Zoo, San Diego Zoo, Oakland Zoo, and Santa Barbara Zoo were the leaders in the reintroduction program working with California Fish and Wildlife. Um, and, that, and then once they had a really good population in human care was when they started the reintroduction program, which started in 1992. And then in 2008 was when there were more condors than there were in human care, which was a huge win. And the numbers grew to 410 uh, individual birds since then in both human care and in the wild. So it is pretty crazy that this bird was actually classified as extinct and now they're coming back. Um, Now, 410 is still very, very little. So you're probably wondering, well, are these reintroduction and breeding programs actually working? They are, but the problem is, is their reproduction rates and their ability to mature quickly is very slow. Um, California gondors reach a sexual maturity when they are five to eight years of age. Oof. So that's a long time. And then they only lay one egg at a time during a season, unless a leg, an, a leg, <laughs> unless <laughs> an egg is lost. <laughs> um, if an egg is lost, then they may produce a second, but it's never like a guarantee. And they have three months of incubation, six months to develop flight feathers. And then after that, it takes one to two years to raise the offspring. Jeez. Yeah. So it's a little wild. That's why their numbers haven't drastically um, shot up. That's because it's a little slow. But you know what? We're working towards it. So you might be wondering, why did the population dwindle so drastically? Um, They are still listed as critically endangered. And their biggest threats are from poison ingestion, from things like rat poisoning. Uh, because poison kills the rats, which then kills the condor when they eat the dead rat. And I thought this was really interesting is lead poisoning from hunters bullets left in animal carcasses. Yep. It's the, what was it called? Biomagnification. Yeah. Same thing. And then other threats include habitat loss, which is an obvi for pretty much every animal. Um, illegal egg collection and, uninsulated power lines so basically if any birdie sits on it it just goes a little zap zap and then they don't survive (laughs) could we word that differently (laughs) well you know there's other countries um who that it's not a standard to have insulated power lines but for the u.s for the most part we do have insulated power lines um so what's the real lesson here number one Vultures are really freaking cool. Like (laughs) the bougie buzzard of California. (laughs) Um, Number two, uh, use live traps for your rat and mice problems. Number three, if you want... Meow. Or use a cat. Whose kitty was that? (laughs) That's Magnolia. I was going to say, is not allowed to be in this room while I record anymore. It's like Arthur's next to me, but he definitely didn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so listeners say hi to Magnolia. Magnolia, do you have any any other words? Yeah, she says use cats for mice traps. Yeah, <laughs> mouse traps she or says, lizard traps. It works real great. She says spay and neuter your pets and be a responsible pet owner. Oh, that's Absolutely. a great message. I agree, Magnolia. Uh, <laughs> words of wisdom from Magnolia is going to be our new ending segment. Oh my god, please. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love that. So more with lessons that we need to learn here. (laughs) Number three, uh, if you hunt, please remove your carcasses. Uh, There's a lot of great things you can actually do if you don't want to use the meat for anything. You can donate them to zoos to feed their animals or other facilities who might need it, um, like rehabilitation centers, etc. And some local governments actually have programs for homeless populations to feed the homeless so do some good people um also you can use copper bullets when you hunt instead of lead because it's not toxic okay um number four all eggs taste the same so stop stealing (laughs) wild bird eggs 
<laughs> Eat some I mean... plastic chicken eggs. Thank y'all. <laughs> Another thing, hello, you can visit AZA zoos like some of the ones that I mentioned, and you can donate to them to support breeding programs like this. I'm going and in October. I'm... Yes. And last but not least, don't be a crappy person. Okay, thanks. <laughs> 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 that one is subjective to conservation and other things I guess too yes <laughs> so the save conclusion the bougie here buzzards is, yeah save those bougie buzzards but they are obviously still in need of help and we mentioned a lot of species that have bounced back significantly and you know let's keep it uh, that way yeah well yes oh my god that's so true um there are still obviously many animals on the endangered species list and continuously being added. Um, and those ones need our help right now. So maybe look into your area. Like if there are native species near you that need your help, cough, cough, go for tortoises. Yes. Need our help. Um, and lots, lots of uh, pollinators like bees and butterflies. Definitely check uh, those out as well. Um, but I think a big thing that was in common with all of our animals that we uh, mentioned were the laws that were put into place to assist these animals. Um, so voting matters. Mm-hmm. Vote. Vote at the ballot and vote at the store. And call yes. your local representatives. Yes, voting at the store. Be the Kenzie in your too. group. Be- <laughs> we all should aspire to be more like Kenzie always. Um, I, I am like on the floor when it comes to standards. I, I am on the floor. There are a lot better people <laughs> who are much more. Well, active. then I don't know where that puts the rest of us. Yeah, I'm digging, I think, a tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I just really like the fact that I think these stories really do um, emphasize that captive breeding does work, fam. When done um, right and well regulated. Yep. Yes. Yes. Important. Um, not because you think a liger would be cool yes there you go there it is <laughs> but responsible breeding um, can have a great impact on conservation and a species as a whole and uh, their population so yeah anything else anyone would like to add here join us on social media especially our Patreon if you join our Beluga Babes tier at just $5 a month you get a free Conservation Queen sticker sent to your house woo I bought Earth Day stamps ooh that's exciting they're very exciting Um, we also would love it if you support us on Instagram and Facebook just search for Conservation Queens podcast and we'll pop right up and then if you have any questions or concerns or just want to like chat with us you can email us at conservationqueenspodcast at gmail.com. We are still looking for our first patrons, by the way. The first patron will get to choose that uh, the episode topic. And we'll talk about your topic and like love you forever. <laughs> that part too. Help us all get microphones. Please. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in this week. And uh, you should go out there and, as always, stay safe and stay sustainable. Bye. 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 Bye.